Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live.
Hello there. What's up, buddy? How you doing, Garrett? All right, and yourself? All right, all right. I like that jacket you had on, man. Thanks, bud. Thanks. Keeping it, keeping it funky fresh down there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, bro. Something like that. Brother Demetrius, what's good, man? Oh, oh man. Nothing much, man. Nothing much. I got you. What's going on up there in Cleveland, man? Uh, cold. Cold. Right, it, it, it flipped again on Thursday, so I like you know not being here for a while, man. I gotta reacclimate myself. Oh, uh, it snowed again up there. Yeah, it's not a bad snow though. Just you know, covering. Right, 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 right. Yeah, from Virginia to Cleveland, that's a big difference, bro. Climate, <laughs> especially Southern Virginia. Yeah. Uh, we're waiting on this Jake guy, so. Okay. I heard the Migos is also supposed to be maybe trying to work into the Super Bowl uh, halftime show, too, or something. I don't know about that. I, I, I mean, they are hot, so, you know. Yeah. Uh, people always try to uh, jump on whatever is hot, so... Uh, I wouldn't right. they they do something to get them on. Right. Right. All right. You listen to that album? Which the I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, it dropped it dropped officially last night. It's been out on the internet though. Oh, I think it's okay. Culture. Culture something. Something like that. Right, right, right. I gotta check it out. That bad bougie is one of my favorites right now. Mm-hmm. How you doing, Jake? Hey, what's up, D? And we got Garrett on too, so. Hey, Garrett. Hey, how you doing? Good, man. Good to finally talk to you. Likewise, likewise. I figure we can break the ice with one real quick. Does anybody think Roethlisberger is retiring? No, no. I think he's more likely to pay, play till forty than retire this year. It w- it would be nice, but no, nah, I don't see that happening. All right. Um. Any questions or anything? Uh, nope, I'm good. Give me uh, two minutes though to go piss here real quick. I'll be right back on. All right. You excited for the Super Bowl? I am, man, because them championship games were very, uh, very lackluster, man. <laughs> it, it the whole playoffs. The whole playoffs were. There were two good games out of all of them. Stupid Roger Ball. All right, let's not let's not give away for free what we can sell on the podcast, gentlemen. You know what I'm saying? I was just trying to <laughs> I, let you guys get that. I didn't know I didn't know that question was gonna get you guys that fired up. I'm glad you got the blood flowing.
tell you what has me fired up. This Buckeye well, basketball team stinks. You know what? That's uh, I got a, a buddy. He uh, he's a Maryland alumni. You know, I that's where I grew up out there in Maryland. And we go back and forth. And since Maryland is into the Big Ten, that's all he talks about it, how they dominate the Big Ten right now and how Ohio State stinks. This is frustrating, man. I'm I'm really losing losing faith and patience in Thad Miles. I tend to agree with you on that. First of all, Maryland's not dominating anything. That's the that's the part where I would take offense to too. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a Big Ten group. It's a Big Ten trash group, uh, trash talk group on Facebook, and that's all he posts. The first thing he says is, "I see Ohio State and Michigan is having a down year in basketball. Y'all really don't talk about that, but." Nobody seems to want to mention that Maryland is dominating on the basketball court. The Big Ten. Ohio, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Ohio State will never be as bad as Maryland at football than they are at, at, at Ohio State is as bad at basketball. There's, right. there's two things. There's two things to that. One, Maryland wouldn't have their recent championships if it wasn't for Gary Williams, who was an Ohio State alum. Two. Um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that's all he has. So, you know what I'm saying? When he says uh, exactly. nobody wants to talk about it, you know what I mean? That's because that's all they got. And well, they Maryland has been woeful, woeful in the tournament. So, I don't know, you know what I mean? Exactly. exactly. And has there been I, a bigger waste of talent than Tremble? Right, right. And then he his argument is, well, Fab doesn't do anything unless he has all them five stars back when Olden and all them were there or whatever. I was like, well, what he won with a – Sullinger and all them, so that's that's his only his only argument. Maryland's what football is, is starting to get a little bit better because they they uh, hired uh, Harbaugh's DC down there, yeah. uh, Durkin, DJ Durkin. So <laughs> he's starting to bring some recruits in there and starting to keep some of them uh, at home from Maryland. At at Maryland, what is Turgeon so. doing with uh, his five star uh, Tremble? Exactly, his dad went to the Final Four. Exactly, he he's not doing anything with him. Exactly, I'm like, how are you? The, how are you in the lead of the conference, and you like rank number twenty two? Like that doesn't make sense. Well, it's just, just like Purdue is easily the, just, the elite of the conference. It must be a down year for Big Ten basketball in it, general. Yeah, it is Purdue and everybody else. Yeah, Indiana with Tom Crean. I, I don't understand. He oh, I, he's terrible. That's his. Problem. He's worse than that. Here's the here's the real bellwether. When the Northwestern Wildcats are on their way to the tournament, you know it's a bad year for Big Ten basketball. Hell yeah. 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 Greenberg will be obnoxious, but that's all right. I don't listen to that shit anyway. And I don't understand because Michigan and Ohio State, they have the resources. I mean, it's, it makes no sense. And Michigan State, they're not there their normal selves on their ism right now. So, yeah, it's a struggle. And Wisconsin, I don't know who the head coach is out there right now since, what is it, Bo, uh, Bo Ryan retired? So I couldn't tell you guys' name either. He just was an assistant yeah. under Bo Ryan and took over the program. But um, Right. They kind of took a step back. There's a lot of truth to basketball slash are you a basketball school or are you a football school. Maybe right. five schools that can do both well. Yeah, yeah. Florida had that run when Meyer and uh, Billy Donovan were there. Now that they're gone, they yeah. Texas at times. No I, think Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma does both well. Um, they do. 
uh, considering but, they're they're in a conference with somebody that you know both you have. I mean, their football you can argue about how good the conference is, but considering how good Kansas is to be yeah. in. But do they do yeah. any better than what Ohio State does for both sports when you combine the two? You know what I mean? There's not too many that do it any better than Ohio State for two sports. That's true. That's true. Well, because they're so football heavy, though. Like, you know what I mean? And yeah. I, I don't know. That, that's that's a that's a good question, though, um, for a podcast in the future, actually. You know what I'm saying? There you go. We'll save it. All right, let's get that's it. A, that's a good one. I'm going to write that down. That actually is a good one. But Oklahoma is the one that just jumps out in my mind. I was trying to think of somebody in the Pac-12, but you right. really can't. You really can't. Um, you, had those, you had those years with Stanford when they had the Lopez twins, but after that, it was nothing. So, Stanford, And the football team wasn't that good then. So, I don't know, maybe Cal and Oregon, maybe. Oregon? And, uh, yeah, lately, uh, under Rich Rodriguez, Arizona has been both. Basketball they took a step football. back this year, but yeah, yeah they did. Arizona. They did. Yeah. That's the whole thing. You get one that's so so much, you know, heavier than the other. But the problem right. with basketball, I think more than football, you got those specialty. I don't. I'm getting into it. I'm getting sucked into it. But I think about like specialty schools like Duke. Well, I mean, Duke had the years with Cut. Duke might be the example, actually. Yeah, yeah. That, that's but what Cutcliffe has done. Those are those basketball blue bloods, man. Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, uh, Kansas, and UCLA. Those are the basketball blue bloods. Man. All right, know. let's get to let's get to some pro sports here. All right, we're gonna start with the Super Bowl show, then go to Cavs. Um, this is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. Show one twenty, Super Bowl preview. IMD, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. Jake from Youngstown, CBUS. Let's talk some Super Bowl. And Garrett Staples is with us, host of the I-71 South podcast, uh, who has been rolling with us in the pro football playoff coverage all this season. Hello there, Ash Bueller guy. Ready to talk some facts and uh, kick some knowledge to you guys. Let's do it. Somebody's got to. Between the three of us. <laughs> In this podcast, we're going to look back at the excitement of the playoffs, uh, the AFC and NFC championship games, uh, talk about the Pro Bowl, which is sold out, not really, um, and then, of course, look ahead to the big matchup. But we're going to talk about uh, one of the new uh, positions that's becoming uh, a premier spot in the NFL, and then, of course, get Jake's prop bets as we get into our Super Bowl predictions. Uh, well, I know we started some fireworks before the podcast even started, but um, the playoffs was not what we really wanted. Um, but did you have any takeaways from this AFC-NFC championship game? Uh, I know, Garrett, your predictions uh, pretty much went to fold. Yeah, they did. Um, I really look at just the consistency and that's that's a conversation we had kind of the last podcast where you thought Pittsburgh may have had a little bit better of athletes, but the one thing that you, you just can't take away is Belichick and his scheme and his players just 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 following that following that scheme and, and, and following his plan and, and just executing. You don't have a lot of big names that just stand out defensively but they're always in the right place at the right time, 
And, I mean, they, they suffocated Pittsburgh's uh, offense. The, the Killer Bees, one of the first times in, in years that they were all available for uh, the playoffs, and it really didn't matter. They really stifled them offensively. They really did. And that, that's my, my key takeaway from the uh, AFC. And if you're talking NFC, I just felt like it pretty much came to fruition when I said the, the next game, you know, Green Bay got by Dallas. It was a it was a tight game, and they were they found a way to get by. But I thought it, they would kind of get exposed. Just Aaron Rodgers not having all his weapons fully healthy, and just that the defensive secondary, which was atrocious for uh, Green Bay, they it really got exposed during uh, that game in Atlanta, that NFC Championship game. They the people weren't rapping, and and tight ends were were they looked like wide receivers out there making moves. So. Very, and Jake, very exploited. They they got exploited out there. Green Bay did. And Jake, I know you were excited if you had the over in the NFC Championship game, but Atlanta putting up those points on Green Bay, and then Aaron Rodgers trying to fight from behind, uh, throwing throwing the ball late, and probably in the uh, Patriots Steelers game as well. Yeah, we did have it as well. So that was that was a, a good surprise, or it wasn't a surprise. I kind of knew this all all along. Both those secondaries are complete trash. Uh, Atlanta's going to get exposed, I think, in this Super Bowl. Uh, Tom Brady should be able to keep a somewhat of a control passing game, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, yeah, Green, Green Bay just – the big advantage I saw there was the running backs. You know, if Atlanta could get up big on them, they could grind the game, start slowing the game down, and Aaron Rodgers would have to just keep playing from behind. Uh, they would be able to pin their ears back and not really have any threat of Green Bay running, which – uh, it makes even the worst secondary at least serviceable. So I think that's what we kind of saw there. Um, as far as the Steelers and the Patriots, Garrett, I think he hit it on the head. I mean, it, a lot of it's Bill Belichick uh, in his scheme, but Pittsburgh was dead in the water the moment Le'Veon Bell went out. Um, he was their guy that could do just about everything. Uh, you saw D'Angelo uh, Williams come in and have a little bit of success with his straight-ahead running style. Uh, I think the Patriots were ready for Le'Veon Bell and uh, how he kind of like goes the line, tries to find the hole, then goes through. Um, but I think they would have made the adjustments if he would have been able to stay healthy uh, throughout the game. So the Steelers, I just feel like that's what Bill Belichick does, take away your best player. And I thought he was going to take away Antonio Brown. I think the game plan was to take away Le'Veon Bell. And then once he went down, uh, they were able to take away Antonio Brown for the most part as well, and there was nothing there. Yeah, I mean, the the Le'Veon Bell injury really, you know, looms large. And I think the big story for both those games was momentum. That take, kind of took a little bit of momentum away from the Steelers. The other thing that struck me um, in that Steelers-Patriots game, and just to go to your point, Jake, uh, D'Angelo Williams, I mean, that guy must be living in Florida in the offseason at the Fountain of Youth. I mean, all season long, the guy, whenever he's called upon, has ran well. And he actually looks better than the years he was coming off the injuries in Carolina. So that was just something that just stuck out of my head. But um, that, that yeah. Patriots defense, it was a, a hell of a performance. But you guys, um, you, what you, what you guys go are missing, though, is that uh, with Le'Veon Bell, even when he was healthy, he only had six six attempts for twenty yards. So they they kept him on the yeah. box even before he got hurt. So no, <laughs> and I I think that that's a fair point, and I think that's what Belichick was planning on doing was trying to stop Le'Veon Bell, which would have maybe opened up Antonio Brown a little bit more. 
But I think Le'Veon Bell is such a good player. They would have figured something out, whether that's spread, getting him out of the backfield and trying to do some short passing or uh, maybe running some counter plays or something like that. I just think that there wasn't a large enough sample size to say, yeah, Belichick completely took him out, but we could obviously tell that was the game plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got the you got the wear down factor whenever you deal with a running back of that talent. You know, you never know what he could have hit in that second half. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. by the fact that somebody missing a tackle or not being in the position because of fatigue. Um, when I look at that uh, NFC Championship game, man, I'll tell you this: two things stuck out to me. One, how bad Taylor Gabriel was, um, just because you're watching the guy close because he's a former Cleveland Brown, and the drop passes, and then that motion play where he almost, you know, <laughs> caused the Falcons a turnover, uh, created a turnover for the Green Bay Packers. Um, the other thing that I think about though was the key role of the receivers for um, Matt Ryan and how Muhammad Sanu, those early catches that Sanu was making, helped Matt Ryan get into a rhythm. And then the balls that he threw to Julio Jones, and then Julio Jones just being the incredible athlete that he is on that one play, um, basically just taking that Green Bay secondary and, re- and basically sitting them on vacation in that third quarter, um, it, it, it really was amazing. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons, you know, that score 44-21 to 21 over the Green Bay Packers, and then the Patriots 36-17. to 17. And uh, all these games have been blowouts pretty much in those, that divisional round and then in the NFC Championship. And uh, do you think the NFL lost something, you know, as far as, you know, just having that usually exciting, uh, you know, uh, down to the wire? And we talk about missed kicks, uh, Mason Crosby killing the momentum for the Green Bay Packers. But we really didn't have those games come down to the end. Maybe the Dallas Cowboys-Green Bay game was the best one that delivered some drama. Yeah, I don't remember yep. a worse playoffs. I mean, honestly, as far as entertainment value, if you didn't have money on those point spread or the line or the over-under, it was you could turn it off at halftime in most of these games. Pretty much. I think you you had maybe two, and that was the game that you just mentioned with uh, Dallas and Green Bay, and then you could maybe possibly consider Pittsburgh and Kansas City, and the rest were just a wash. It wasn't, it wasn't even worth uh, really watching. It wasn't entertaining, and especially for the the occasional fan who just you know pops in during playoff time, they didn't have much to watch. Well, you talk about much to watch. You had a lot to watch from all the things going on with the NFL Pro Bowlers. Um, you know, you got Ezekiel Elliott down there dominating in dodgeball. I think that guy could. Down, I think there's a guy, Jake, that I think could actually play hockey and be all right. Um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, did you get excited by the dodgeball and the drones? And is the NFL, you know, coming out right? The Pro Bowl sold out. So, what do all of us real true football fans know who kind of hate this uh, spectacle? It's yeah. To I, me, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, to me, it's it's still. It's still Roger Goodell tinkering with things that sometimes don't need to be tinkered with and uh, trying to provide some type of entertainment before the actual Super Bowl because of the way they expanded the regular season. So that way that you're you're not having the Super Bowl in January anymore. You're having it in the first weekend in, in February. But the quality of the game, the Pro Bowl, I think, is, is taking a step back a little bit. And then – it would make sense that now that you, you, you've taken away that fun factor of just like the guys who are in the Super Bowl, they're not going to risk injury to play in the Pro Bowl the week beforehand. And I still think it should be 
the week after the Super Bowl. That way you can have the people that you want to see because now it's almost to me like a constellation game where you're having players play in lieu or in absence of the guys who are playing in the Super Bowl. But that's just my take. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that it matters that much. First of all, it's not a game. You know, I mean, it's a glorified touch football game where they do some clowning around and stuff like that. To me, it's the most unwatchable of all the all-star games in all of sports. You know, you look at even the NHL, who's going to have their all-star game this weekend. Um, they they tweak their formula. You know, it's not their normal hockey game. It's three-on-three tournament. Um, you know, wouldn't the NBA all-star game be awesome if they decided just to go two-on-two tournament with all the side wagers and the, the uh, jockeying for who's going to be my partner, who's going to be the different two-man teams? I think that would be a lot of fun. There's no need to play these all-star games like it's a regular season game with the rosters. I mean, we've seen the rules tweaked in the NFL. Um, yeah, and to me, the dodgeball and the drone drop are more fun. I say we take the drone drop and we do it kind of like XFL style, get rid of the kickoffs and just drop the ball midfield and see who gets it. Well, I, I don't agree on the NBA. I actually enjoy the NBA All-Star game the way that it is. I think it's created some of the best moments in basketball history. Um, but And uh, if you want two-on-two, you can always go back and play the great game NBA Jam. Um, <laughs> if we, if He's we, on if fire. We, if uh, boom shakalaka, um, I'll tell you this, man. The Cowboys are getting the game that they want, even though it's not the game that you know <laughs> they probably really want. They got the game that they wanted with all the participants in the Pro Bowl activities, and then also too uh, when it comes to drone drops, maybe Odell Beckham Jr. should uh, take a page out of uh, Trevor Bowers. Now I'm just gonna leave that one alone. I'm not gonna go to that joke. Uh, the Pro Bowl is the Pro Bowl. I mean, I I agree it should be the week after. So maybe you get some of those guys in there. But I think the biggest thing is you just don't want to see anybody get injured. And that's the thing, you know, so maybe that's the biggest reason to uh, move away. But well, this yeah. thing... Speaking for Cincinnati uh, with Tyler Eifert and that whole situation this year, we we, we kind of fed up with uh, the Pro Bowl down here in uh, 71 South, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. And, and there you go. So um, how much time but... do you guys spend watching the Pro Bowl today? I always glance at it, you know, it's almost like <laughs> it's almost like being on a highway and seeing an accident and you just hope that it's not a bad one, but somebody's fender just got taken off. So you just want exactly. a little damage on the cars, not damage to humans. Listen, exactly. I will watch I will watch much more fake sports in the Royal Rumble than I will watch the Pro Bowl, that's for sure. Hey, wrestling is real. Let's get to something that I think is developing in the NFL, and it's going to be something that you will, if for those people that actually watch the game and are getting their ear yacked off at a Super Bowl party, um, the new premier position in the NFL on defense is the safety linebacker position. You talk about Tyler Eifert, and we know how great he was before he got hurt You know, in the Pro Bowl. You know, he was one of the difficult guys to cover. And uh, you think about, you know, we're Buckeye fans. You think about C. Grant and how, you know, Ohio State used him. Well, you know, this position was maybe uh, a little bit before his time, a little bit after his time. I mean, he would have had a great NFL career if people could have saw him in this position. Um, you're uh-huh. going to see Pat Chung from the, the uh, from the New England Patriots where Belichick is uh, – has found this as, you know, a way to slow down those tight ends and those running backs 
that he actually uses on they actually use on offense in New England. And I just think it's something that's really coming um, to the NFL, and we're going to see a lot of this. And I got a story about why it's going to be real important for New England because this is not the first time Belichick has actually used this. Yeah, I mean, when I think of the hybrid linebacker, the first guy that pops in my mind is Cam Chancellor, um, the guy who has uh-huh. pretty much revolutionized that position. Um, Patrick Chung's a good example, too, a little bit of a smaller example. Um, but, yeah, I, I think versatility in the secondary, especially at the safety spot, is a big, big key. We see it with all these tight ends and uh, how the NFL has gone to the athletic, uh, almost hybrid wide receiver tight end. Uh, rather than just having a pass catcher and then a run blocker. They're trying to find the happy medium. So I think that's the response is these hybrid uh, hybrid safeties. And, you know, the next one coming up will be an interesting one with Jabril Pepper coming into the – Pepper's coming into the NFL. You know, for me, I think he's a little bit too small for safety – or, I mean, for a linebacker, and he's a little too slow for a safety. So I don't know if he's going to be a hybrid or just a guy without a fit. So we'll see. He might be able to, you know, he's, to me, he's a typical kind of three, four, I don't know, maybe rush outside linebacker, that kind of thing, that could drop, drop in the coverage. He, he fits maybe Pittsburgh's scheme to a T to me, you know, where you can, you can use him in multiple ways. Kind of reminds me, especially when I was living on the East Coast in uh, Maryland, where he would fit in a Rex Ryan defense, that kind of thing. So, I think that that type of player, that's what we're we're kind of we're kind of moving to. And if you look at like uh, Belichick, how he runs defenses, he runs a lot more where he's not having three linebackers, where he's adding an extra safety in there, like you said, so he can basically cover the tight ends, so that won't become a uh, mismatch. So that is what we're we're kind of moving towards. So I, I definitely I can definitely agree with that. That is the new that's the new sexy sexy thing on defense is the uh, hybrid safety uh, mix, uh, hybrid uh, linebacker slash safety mix. Yeah, I saw Bucky Brooks. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to piggyback on that and, and add that you know it's it's not only the response to the tight end, but it's you know looking for someone who has the speed to stay with. Uh, running backs as well out of the backfield. And I think that might be where you're going with the Patrick Chung and how important that position is for the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick. Absolutely. You saw my, um, uh, Mark Barron down there for the Buccaneers who basically was drafted out of Alabama and plays this position. But you think about the Patriots practice and you pretty much, you know, Patrick Chung has got to be matched up with like a Deion Lewis or, you know, the guy coming out of the backfield to try to keep up. And I think this is, you know, uh, where we get into where we'll be breaking down the game for the Super Bowl, you're going to see how important this position is, especially with how well Atlanta is able to throw out of the backfield to a Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. Uh, just wanted to give, you know, that's a, just a little precursor. We're going to get into that after this break, ladies and gentlemen. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with Dean Jake. We're coming back with the prop bets and our Super Bowl predictions. Oh. All right, Jake. Uh, we know one thing has happened. They've decided the jerseys that the teams are going to wear. We're going to get into Jake's favorite prop bets here. Um, eleven of the past two, eleven of the past twelve Super Bowl winners have worn white. So uh, the Patriots will be wearing white. Uh, it's not a prop bet, but those are one of those things. Everybody's looking for an inside angle besides just going with the uh, history of the Patriots winning all these Super Bowls in their drive for five. 
what do you got for us on the prop bet side of things? I'm sure there's a prop bet for that somewhere out there, that's for sure, because they are prop bets for everything at this point. Uh, I went through 50 pages from the West po- – or uh, from the no, – what the hell? Uh, William Penn? I went through – no, no, I got. It. I went through 50 pages from the Westgate Superbook, which used to be, the, of course, Las Vegas Hilton is kind of the the gold standard for Las Vegas. Um, yeah, and there's some interesting ones, and, and prop bets really depend on how you see the game playing out. That's really what you got to look at uh, as far as if you're going into player bets. Now, if you want to do the coin toss and the national anthem and all that sort of stuff, fine, go ahead, have at it. That's a, that's a coin flip anyway, so uh, and no need to really break that down. Although I always wondered why the heck, like, the, the national anthem singer doesn't have a bunch of his buddies go out and put a bunch of money on the over and just draw that thing out forever. Or Joe Buck shows up clean-shaven because there's a prop on that and uh, has, has his wife go put 100000 on him showing up clean-shaven. I don't understand well, I'll, how they call, can get away I'll call with my those. I'll call my buddy Luke Bryan and make sure he burns it down for over two hundred uh, right? for over two I mean, two twenty. Isn't isn't that? I mean, I, I can't believe that there's nobody that's thought of that or has taken advantage of that yet. Anyway, I digress on that. Uh, I'll go through these pretty quick. Uh, for me, I think that uh, New England's going to win this game. I see Bill Belichick's plan as a short control passing game, uh, utilizing Legarrette Blount to try to. Uh, keep that Atlanta offense off the field. So I'm looking at New England and uh, the under in this game. But uh, how that plays into some prop bets for me, uh, first, Tom Brady. And this one's pretty good odds. Uh, to throw an interception, if you are going to bet on Tom Brady to not throw an interception, you only have to pay a dollar fifty for a dollar. So, I mean, how often does Tom Brady throw interceptions? So if you can uh, swallow a little bit of juice, 50 cents worth of juice, uh, and you don't think Tom Brady is going to throw an interception, I kind of like that one, um, especially with Atlanta's secondary. They don't pose a huge threat to me. Um, here's an interesting one as well. I think the Falcons will score first. Uh, we've seen their history as far as first drives and being able to score and that sort of thing. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if it's a field goal, but if you like the Falcons to score first, it's plus ten. But here's the other one. I like the Patriots to actually win despite the Falcons scoring first. And if you like that, you can get four to one odds on the Falcons scoring first, but losing the game to the Patriots. So I think that's a really good value bet to just to give it a shot. Um, so, and then you get into the players and this builds into my game plan. Uh, I like LeGarrette Blount over 56 and a half yards. That's a dollar 10. I like Julian Edelman over seven and a half receptions playing into that short passing game. That's a dollar 10. We talked about Taylor Gabriel and how bad he was uh, catching the ball in the NFC Championship game. It doesn't mean he's not a playmaker and doesn't have speed to burn and might, want to, might be one of Atlanta's best assets. So I think Atlanta's been working, and they give him at least one rushing attempt. And if you like Taylor Gabriel to get at least one rushing attempt, you can get plus $1.60. So $1.60 back on your dollar investment if Taylor Gabriel runs the ball once. Um, first touchdown of the game, for, I'll take one for each. Uh, I'll go with LeGarrette Blount, Blunt. I'll go with LeGarrette Blunt at 8-1 to one odds for New England to score their first touchdown. Or uh, the first touchdown of the game, not their first touchdown. And for Atlanta, I'll go with uh, Coleman. Uh, he's been getting the ball down towards the goal line 
a lot of heavy lifting by uh, Devontae Freeman, and then it seems like Tevin Coleman comes in. And you're getting 12 to 1 odds if you think he'll score a touchdown. So a lot of times you get down in that three-yard range, and they're just going to run the ball. Uh, those are some pretty good odds. And then one cross-sport bet that uh, for us Cavs fans here, you could take Kyrie Irving. Kyrie oh, Irving. Oh, okay. Well, this one's Kyrie Irving versus the Knicks. The total points he scores. And you get to add three and a half points to his total versus the points for Atlanta. So if you think Atlanta is going to score less than 28, 31 points, you probably got a pretty good chance on that. And uh, that's a, a normal dollar ten uh, bet. So those are the few that I that I like. We had pretty good success last year, so uh, hopefully uh, some of this plays out again this year. The one I liked was LeBron James points versus the Knicks uh, versus Matt Ryan's uh, pass attempts. That's the one that I saw that like I thought you were going to there. Um, yeah, I saw one too. I just like it's easier to figure out though, you know. <laughs> I like sitting with prop bets that I don't have to research to see if I won or not. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Garrett, you like any of those prop bets or are you ready to get to this big game prediction? I, you you really got me now you got me really thinking about this this big game because I'm I'm gonna contrast from uh from uh, Jake's pick there. Uh, but go ahead. I'm ready. All right. All right. We're going to line this one up with first the injury report for the Super Bowl 51 at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas. Um, you basically, I mean, you, you, you know the game will kick off at some point after the eight-hour pregame show. So um, you'll be able to find it on everything. So don't worry about that. But it is being produced by Fox, and it will be on the Fox Network. Um all the Falcons are not on their injury report. So the Atlanta Falcons have a clean sheet. But, you know, Bill Belichick is going full three-card Monty on us. You know, he's put nine different Patriots on there. So uh, the two guys for Atlanta that you were worried about was Julio Jones with that toe issue. And then, you know, we saw Alex Mack leave the game in that NFC Championship for a little bit with the ankle, but um, he's rested all week. He did not practice, but he said he's going to play, and I think that week will definitely, you know, I mean, that guy's going to go if he's got to be out there on the stubs. So uh, Browns fans know how tough the guy is. Uh, when he played, you know, uh, with the flu and and injury, and uh, I mean, he when Alex Mack played with an injury, and uh, we think about old number 40, Arkansas running back. Why can I think of this guy's name? The Madden cover guy. Hill, I know Peyton Hillis. Yeah. Oh, Peyton, Peyton Hillis was out with the flu when Alex Mack went out, went out there and kept on playing. So uh, uh, we know how tough Alex Mack is. Um, you think at the Patriots, they list nine players. Martellus Bennett, of course, has had that lingering knee issue all year. Danny Amendola with an ankle. Uh, running back Brandon Bolton, who hasn't seen much action. Uh, an Ohio State product and the – the pride of all rugby, US, uh, the U.S. rugby and Ohio State rugby team, uh, Nate Ebner, is, uh, was on the field Friday. So was Steven Gaskowski, but they both are listed on the injury report. Dante Hightower, Chris Hogan, who we know Hogan's going to play because the guy just, I think he just caught another pass, uh, just uh, probably practicing somewhere in secret. Uh, Malcolm Mitchell, and then, of course, former Cleveland Browns, Jabal Sheard, who we saw go down. But um, I think I think New England's going to find a way to get those guys on the thing. Uh, you can never believe what Belichick puts out there. But with knowing that now, let's get to the Super Bowl predictions. Garrett, you go ahead and lead us off. Well, this is the uh, this is the game where I just feel I feel like 
Atlanta, I just feel it's it's their time. Uh, I look at their offensive line, the protection that Matt Ryan gets. He he rarely gets a lot of pressure on him, and I don't think excuse me, I just don't feel that New England is going to be able to generate enough pressure to make to kind of get them off schedule and what they do. And I just think Kyle Shanahan as an offensive coordinator, I mean, he takes advantage and it's so many layers and facets to Atlanta's offense. And I look, you know, you you like like uh you know, you were saying where you're talking about taking away Belichick takes away your number one option, which they will probably try to take away Julio, but I don't think really this offense misses a beat. And I just think that Julio is such an athletic freak of nature that even with Belichick trying to scheme and take him out of it, he's still going to get his catches because he's just just an athletic freak, and he's just so much bigger than most defensive backs. And then I also take into account just the guy from that, you know, us Bengals fans, we've watched for years, uh, Muhammad knew the difference he is making where you, you can't just sit there and just key on uh, on Julio now because now you have a Robin in Muhammad Sanu where he, I mean, he, he ran some of those uh, college-type college plays back at Rutgers and, uh, you know, some of the Wildcat plays that you saw. You know, you got schemes like that that they're running where they split out Matt Ryan as a wide receiver, and then he just went straight Wildcat. And he's done that a couple times here in Cincinnati where – he played quarterback and threw a 50-yard bomb against the Redskins. I remember that. So those are different things that you're scheming in. And I just think the offensive line play where they move guys and they cave the line of scrimmage and move guys off the ball. And I was very impressed with their offensive line and, and their being able to, to pound the, uh, the run game. And I think, you know, just like I feel it's just the opposite as far as <clears throat> being able to control the clock where when you have Freeman, you have a Tevin Campbell, you can pound the rock. And then, you know, the the tight ends, I, I like the tight ends for uh, Atlanta. And I just think it's just so many layers to their offense. And I think that it actually, as long as they don't, they don't come off to a slow start, I just feel like Atlanta has the advantage. And I, I don't think Atlanta's defense is getting enough credit, and I'm really liking this young kid out of Clemson, uh, Vic Beasley. I'm I'm really impressed, and I'm a fan of Seattle's defense. And when you look at Dan Quinn, Dan Quinn has been going against and people. You know, they they don't really remember this, but he's been going against New England for a while. You know, uh, when you know Seattle played them in the uh, Super Bowl, and just his familiar familiarity with uh, New England's offense and seeing them and, and having the right game plan and scheme for them. I just think uh, I see Seattle going ahead and uh, – well, excuse me, not Seattle, but with Dan Quinn just just having that familiarity and, and just knowing what to do when it comes to Brady and getting the right pressures on him. Because I still think with, with Brady he's more – He's more of a pocket quarterback, and if you can if you can get the pressure on him and get him frustrated, get him looking at the refs kind of like Houston did, I, I really felt like, you know, he's going to look at that Houston game and kind of use their game plan against against Brady because they do have the athletes. I feel the same type of athletes on uh, Atlanta's defense, so it'll be it'll be interesting. But I, I just have to lean with Atlanta in this one. I, I think they they've seen New England before, and Quinn, like I said, he, he's going to have that game plan. 
And then I just think of Kyle Shanahan, and he's one of the hottest offensive coordinators in the game right now, and just all the weapons that he has at his disposal. I just I just don't see them uh, I don't see them losing to New England. I feel like they kind of outclass them uh, offensively. And as much as I love Belichick and his scheme, and you know he may not have the the same type athletes like he had with a Brewski or a Willie McGinnis and all those kinds of guys. I think this kind of it comes it comes back to Hanum in this game where his scheme can't just overmatch the lack of athlete that he might need or is necessary to beat Atlanta with all the athletes that they have on the field right now. And listen, I'm going to keep this pretty short because I kind of broke it down during the props. But really, the only thing Dan Quinn is used to seeing with uh, and accustomed to seeing with the Patriots is losing a Super Bowl. Um, I, I don't see the weapons on Atlanta. Mohamed Sanu had one good game in the NFC Championship. Other than that, he's been a mediocre receiver his entire career, even going back to Cincinnati. Uh, Taylor Gabriel, we saw what his liabilities are catching the ball. I don't see a tight end that's a, even close to a difference maker on Atlanta. Um, and you, you're not going to be able to run the ball on New England. We've seen that. They, they, they can stop the run, if nothing else. This might be one of the better defenses that Bill Belichick's ever had with the Patriots. Um, for New England, though, I, I think you do make a good point, Garrett, with your offensive line. Tom Brady's not going to be able to move around in the pocket. He's not going to scramble. He's not going to run. So if you're going to have any shot on this, you've got to get pressure on Tom Brady. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's been many teams that have gone in with that game plan, and it hasn't worked out very well. You know, Belichick's a big difference maker in this game. Look at Chris Hogan last week. Chris freaking Hogan had the same amount of catches, receptions, touchdowns as freaking Julio Jones. Okay, that's how good Bill Belichick is. Uh, this guy played at uh, Monmouth, I think, or something like that. Play lacrosse. So, yeah, right. So, I mean, and, and the motivation for the Patriots is there. Bill Belichick against Roger Goodell. Tom Brady against Roger Goodell. Do they want anything more than to have him hand them the Lombardi trophy? And then you talk about Super Bowl titles. This is Bill Belichick's opportunity, and it might be the last one. Who knows? Tom Brady's getting old. To be the greatest coach in NFL history, undisputed, because he'll pass Chuck Noll for more Super Bowls than any coach in the history of football. So, to me, the, it's, the secondary of Atlanta is complete trash, uh, despite uh, Vic Beasley being a pretty good linebacker. Um, I just don't see Atlanta being able to stay with this Patriots team. Uh, Bill Belichick is just too good of a coach. And, you know, I, I, it's either New England in the under or Atlanta on the over because they're going to have to score a ton of points to stay with this Patriots team, and I just don't see it. I think New England wins this game by – two scores so I, I think we have to go back to history with this one and it goes back to how belichick's story basically started out um there's a great book by david haverstrom called the education of a coach and it, it tells the story of the 1991 um super bowl and that was giants bills i think we all remember how it ended but bill belichick the story goes inside the locker room it was no facebook live there so this is a second hand telling to the author of the book but um Belichick told the defense, that defense at that time, if you think about Lawrence Taylor and all those guys on that New York Giants defense, he told them to let Thurman Thomas run over 100 yards. So basically he wanted to take away the passing game and let them have their running game. Now, we all know how that game almost ended 
with Thurman Thomas breaking off that 31-yard run and Norwood missing that field goal. But, you know, Belichick created his legend in and got guys to buy in, and I think that's kind of where it started. In there, he started using that 3-4 defense, but he took those linebacker and that lineman out to start using that hybrid position and kind of then. They didn't really have a guy like a Patrick Chung who was smaller and faster and could hit. That's the big thing. Patrick Chung plays with the physicality of a linebacker. So they didn't have that, but he had the, you know, he had the, the positions to put six DBs out there to create, to create confusion for them, Jim Kelly. So, you know what I mean? Um, you know, it almost came back to bite him, but that's where you kind of see Bill Belichick uh, building it up. Now, here's my thing looking at this game. Yards after the catch are going to be the big thing, whether it's Chris Hogan and that Ed Edelman, those guys trying to get underneath with that short control passing game that you talked about, Jake, or Atlanta using the complements of all their weapons. See, the big thing is they have one of the, they're going to have the most talented offensive player on the field, but the compliment and the way Kyle Shanahan gets the use out of these guys, he had one third to the fullback in the NFC Championship game that broke off for a big play. Um, you know, and I couldn't name the guy just like we can't name the tight ends for Atlanta. You don't think of those guys as, you know, primetime players. But I think Freeman, exactly. Coleman, and the scheming of Atlanta, you know, you look back one more time in the history, you think about the 2013 Broncos who had 71 touchdowns in the regular season. You remember Bill Belichick had them perfectly schemed out for the regular season game. But when it came to that AFC championship, they were able to get them back. So, I mean, I think that I, I'm trying to look at things the, the, where the matchups go here for this game. I think special teams comes into a big thing, and we've seen Atlanta be solid in the special teams game, which we know that's something Bill Belichick always tries to win as well. Um, you know, Matt Bryant has been unbelievable, but also, too, Eric Weems has given that Atlanta Falcons offense great starting position, great field position. So it's not always about making the big play on special teams, but it's about, you know, as you guys know, getting that, you know, uh, 35-yard line instead of a 15-yard line. And that's something that the Patriots, you know, always try to focus on. You look at that, that line uh, for the Atlanta Falcons, you know, Malcolm Brown and Allen Branch, Ninkovich, I mean, who's really getting pressure on the quarterback for New England? Yeah, they got some sacks, but those lines weren't as good as this one with Alex Mack. And we think about Jake Matthews, who's going to be fired up because he's a Houston native. And, of course, we know the lineage as Browns fans with his, you know, uh, uncle being Clay Matthews and his dad being Bruce Matthews, who's been making the rounds on Sports Talk. You know, so I, I, I think about, you know, Atlanta's offensive line dominating and how they can wear down that New England defense who doesn't they, – they might – be able to play the scheme as well and all the guys that you guys mentioned and whatnot, but I think depth is going to become an issue. And I brought up exactly. that injury report because Bill Belichick has been playing fast and loose with this injury report, trying to thumb the nose at all the guys, and I think that's going to come back to haunt him. So I love New England's secondary in this game now um, to try to be up to the challenge, but if they can't get pressure up front and Matt Ryan is not having anybody in his face, he will pick them apart. So, you know, I mean, Logan, Logan Ryan, Malcolm Butler, those guys have been playing unbelievable. Here's but I think a, this – Not to cut you off, but a quick fact. When you think about New England, they spread the ball around, correct? But I don't know if I, there was a stat when you, talk, when you talk about Atlanta with their offense where I believe Matt Ryan has thrown to over nine, nine guys during the season for touchdowns, nine to ten guys, something like that to – Basically, he spreads it out. So you don't know. It doesn't matter who it is. It, it, and like you said, it doesn't have to be just Julio. He's spreading it around to everybody, and they, they, they all become playmakers. And that's why I say 
Kyle Shanahan's offense is, is just deadly right now. But go ahead. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing. You see the synergy of Kyle Shanahan with Matt Ryan and then also working in complement with um, Dan Quinn. And I want to talk about how this Falcons team is just built from the front office side, too. you got to remember, Thomas Dimitrov – came from New England. So you basically got is a lot of teacher student, you got a lot of you know lines that are connected here in this Super Bowl game. Um also too the other thing with the front office of Atlanta who's been able to put together these talent it took some time but they got three other former GMs in there. This is a lesson for Browns, the Browns front office. Three former GMs in there. And Scott Pioli who of course came from the Chiefs and we know where he got started at Phil Emery from the Bears, and then Rustin Weber from the Texans. So, you know, they've got football on top of football on top of football on top of football with another GM on top of them. So I'm saying from the from the bottom down, they actually are almost New England's worst nightmare because they are built the same way that New England is from a mentality standpoint. Um, and then the offense, there's something to be said for an offense that's clicking, and we really haven't seen the best of what Tom Brady has. Now, we know that guy is special. So it brings me all the way back to this. I'm going with the Falcons. I think the Falcons win this one, uh, and and the playoffs have been this way. I think it's a runaway. I think, you know, the Patriots, they'll be back next year, but this is the one they win, and we don't get that moment of seeing them have to get the trophy handed from Roger Goodell, which everybody has been going on and on about. I think that moment is deferred till next season. I, I, I Personally, I agree with you. Um, I just, when I look at schematically, when I look at New England's offense and I just look at their, their passing game, I just don't fear anybody. It's everything is scheming with, with Belichick and with Josh McDaniels, which he, he is a hot coordinator with uh, Brady, but I don't see anybody in their receiving corps that just you have fear in for the secondary that is just going to blow by, blow blow the top off the defense and and get deep past everybody. Other than I guess maybe the possibility of the late pickup of Malcolm Floyd, but is he truly fitting in there in New England scheme quite yet? I that I do not know. But he was a great pickup. But like I said, to me, that's what you have to worry about is the short passing game, and I think. I think Dan Quinn will have the right scheme for 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 this. Uh, I don't think, to me personally, when you look at the playoff run that New England had, it wasn't impressive to me. I mean, you you beat the Texans, and you didn't look great in that game. And now I will say that they uh, the Texans had a a very athletic team on defense, and they they could really create pressure. And I really feel if if Houston really had any kind of quarterbacking, you know, with Savage out and just it just shows how inept and how terrible Brock Osweiler was. I really personally feel like they would have been upset in that uh that divisional game up there in New England. And then Pittsburgh, they you know, it was just Belichick's scheme I feel defensively, you know, but I just I just don't see it. I just think it's too many athletes on Atlanta's offense for New England to, to be able to pull this one out. I, I, and like I said, if this was the defense of New England of old with Willie McGinnis, Teddy Bruschi, and, and and all those kinds of guys, and, and you just had athletes, Rodney Harrison, and you had all those guys on the field, then I would definitely pick New England in this game. But this isn't the same defense. I like Patrick Chung. 
I like Malcolm Butler, but like you said, when you when you're looking at that injury report, a lot of these guys are, are a little bit nicked up and banged up as everybody is at this time of season. But I think it's just gonna play a factor in New England's downfall in this uh Super Bowl game. But go ahead, fellas. Jake, the score for this game or the uh, over for this game is 59, the highest ever been in the Super Bowl. Um, do you think this is, I mean, even even with you going with the Patriots, do you think we see a high-scoring game or do you think this is a low-scoring game? I think you already said that. but Yeah, no, I, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's lower scoring than people think. Um, I, I just, you know, anytime you give defensive coordinators two weeks and you're talking about Bill Belichick and Dan Quinn, two of the best defensive minds in all of football. Uh, it's not going to be a shootout in my mind. I, I really think this game is going to be like 27-17 Patriots. Um, you know, it, it's, that's, that's the way I see this thing playing out. Uh, I think, that, like I said, that the clock is going to be a, a big thing for the Patriots. They're going to want to see it moving, and a moving clock leads to a lower scoring game. So uh, I think it's all about possession, drive length, uh, not turning the ball over, and you've got maybe the best quarterback of all time at not turning the ball over. Whereas on the other side, you've got a guy who's playing in his first Super Bowl, and up until this year, and no doubt it's been a great year and an MVP-type year, uh, the guy pulling the trigger for Atlanta was known for nothing but throwing big interceptions at the worst times possible. I'll take the Patriots 27-17. All right, I got the Falcons over to Pats 38-24. to 24. Uh, Garrett, you want to give us a score? Sure. I, th- I think one more thing that folks are uh, not taking into account. I think um, you know, just with that that Seattle and and Denver Super Bowl, when you think about that hot offense that that Denver had and playing in a cold weather environment when they played up there at MetLife, uh, and that bad weather where it, it kind of plays to a defensive teams to their to their to their strengths. I think it's, you know, when you're talking about a dome team like in Atlanta and going to Houston and playing in a in a dome like, uh, what is it, NRG out there in Houston, I think that really, and they're, to me, it's like a, a track team. They're built on speed when you when you think about uh, Atlanta. And I don't know if you, you watch the championship game and they said the way Dan Quinn built that defense, they have the fastest linebackers in the NFL. So it's basically kind of going back to what you were saying, talking about people who can cover. And when you think about Belichick and his, you know, you think about Josh McDaniels and his offense with this short passing game, it's almost like watching uh, a college spread offense that really plays into Dan Quinn's hand, having guys who can really linebackers that can affect the game and can cover and cover these little guys like Deion Lewis and Amendola and Edelman, guys who are not going to beat you up, uh, you know, going over over the top, but uh, trying to beat you in, in playing and, and getting in zones and those kinds of things. So I really feel like Atlanta has that answer for that, that short college spread offense that they try to run out there in New England. And my score, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'd say 41 to about 28 Atlanta. 
All right. Um, we know history is not on the side of the Falcons. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Patriots going that drive for five. Uh, Atlanta has not won. The Falcons have not won a championship in 51 years. So, we know they have made it back with the Dirty Birds and Dan Reeves and, you know, how that went now. Um, one other thing I think with history, though, we've seen, you talk about that 51 years, a lot of droughts have been ended. We know as Cavs fans ended the drought. Uh, and we also know as Indians fans, uh, the Cubs ended their drought. So, you know, and we even think back to before the Cavs, the Warriors ended that one. So could it be? We know that usually it goes the way of the dynasty, though, when it comes to New England Patriots and we talk football. Uh, Jake, get the plugs in. Um, we're going to close out the podcast with Jake's plugs. Yeah, make sure you're listening to com every Monday now, Monday and Thursday. We move the show. Uh, it's going to be three to five Mondays and then four to six on Thursday. Uh, I'm on the Thursday show. Check me out with Erin Campbell, and she's also the host of the Tuesday show. She does a great job. Um, and then also keep an eye out for EB Sports Network this year. Um, big things happening. We're building a news division as well as the sports division. Uh, everything uh, Buckeye, and uh, it, we're uh, doing a show now with uh, Zach Boren and Nick Miller, a couple former Buckeyes, and uh, just a lot of fun. So to keep an eye on that, that's ebsportsnetwork.com. All right. We thank you for listening to With an Ohio Bias. Um, follow us on Twitter at With an Ohio Bias. You know we'll be tweeting uh, during the big game. You can follow Garrett at Ohio Player 80. Um, you'll be getting all those Falcons hot takes down there. <laughs> you know what I'm um, but also, too, make sure you can check out the I-71 South podcast and Garrett uh, sign off to the good people. But we'll have a lot to talk about. We'll be doing an off-season one here, sure, uh, very soon, talking about the uh, second release tape of Pac-Man Jones and, of course, Marvin Lewis pushing for an extension. Jake, uh, Demetrius, it's, it's, it was good working with you guys. Um especially Jake for the first time and, you know, for the I-71 South podcast, it's a lot to talk about the, uh, the irony of uh, Marvin Lewis after 14 years, uh, no playoff win. And he's talking about his staff and making sure they feel comfortable. They don't need to feel comfortable. You haven't won anything. And him basically asking for an extension right now, he should be in a, a lame duck role where you have to, uh, you have to prove yourself and you have to win in the in the league and right now really on any other any other organization but I really feel that Ben Cincinnati Marvin Lewis would not be here but that's neither here nor there but um yes it was it was great talking with you guys it should be a great super bowl it's a lot of matchups within the game and you know you have two great head coaches you have Belichick you know where it's, he he might be one of the one if not the greatest uh, head coach in, in NFL history. You know, and you have a young up and coming hot head coach in uh, Dan Quinn, where I think he's just getting ready to get his run started. You know, with them winning down there in Atlanta, so it's it, it's it's it should be fun and exciting to watch. Really exciting, but I look forward to talking with you guys again. And thank you for the Ohio bias. Yeah, and we'll we'll have plenty of time to put the Belichick 
dynasties, Belichick, Brady dynasty. Uh, those will be some fun summer podcasts. I don't know if we'll have a lot of time now in the summer with the Indians being as hot as they are. And uh, shout out to everybody <laughs> with the great picks from Tribe Fest. So definitely excited about the big game. Don't overeat. Don't overdrink. Make sure you're able to stay to the end because this one, if Jake is correct, it might come down to the end. So enjoy the big game, everybody. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. Thanks for listening. All right, let's get through this Cavs one pretty quickly here. Um, let me turn the page. 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 If I have my notes. Oh, here it is. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. Show one nineteen. Cavs off. Uh, Cavs off season. Cavs full of drama podcast. IMD. Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. I'm Jake from Youngstown Seabus. We're still talking your world champions of the world. And Garrett Staples is with us on this cast podcast. Garrett, say hello to the good people. Hello there, it's Garrett, Ashtabula, Ohio. Hey, let's let's talk some of these calves, man. It's been interesting. A lot of a lot of hot topics and the the king and 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 just the 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 battle of the heavyweights when it comes to King James and you're talking uh, Dan Gilbert and, and David Griffin. So let's, let's just get to it. Yeah, we're going to get into this podcast. I mean, basically, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to decide should we be blaming anybody for this championship hangover and the problems that come in a position we've never been before. Um, we're going to try to see if the Cavs drama is anything close to the drama going on in Chicago with the Bulls and Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler and, of course, Rajon Rondo, who might – be a Cavs addition. Uh, speaking of additions, we'll look to see if the Cavs roster change. We'll talk about um, whether the Cavs are actually spending enough as the highest payroll in the NBA. And also, too, we'll look at if the mellow trade and the rumors come to fruition, how that will affect the NBA. And, uh, of course, look at the All-Star game. We say congrats to Kevin Love and some of the big snubs out there. Um, Let's get into this. Um, we know the Bulls are having some issues out there in Chicago, and the only reason I kind of match it to the Cavs drama, it seems like the NBA just turned into a soap opera overnight in the last week or so. Um, the Chicago Bulls having uh, issues with Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade calling people out, Jimmy Butler taking himself out of a game, and then Rajon Rondo following him back talking about his vets. Um, everybody's aware of the comments that LeBron James has made about uh, the Cavs not having um, a point guard and not having a playmaker. Um, but then it got up to another level with the Windhorse story saying that LeBron feels like the Cavs haven't spent enough. And actually LeBron in his own comments named names with Ray Felton and Michael Beasley. What's your take? Do you think the Bulls drama is actually worse than the Cavs? And then how deep does this Cavs drama really go? Jake, you want to lead us off? Oh, the Bulls drama is way worse than what the Cavs got going on. Uh, their issue is their head coach in their front office. I mean, Fred Hoiberg is definitely over his head here uh, and over his skis. Uh, they, and then the, the front office didn't do him any favors, uh, bringing in Rayshon Rondo, who is notoriously a, a team killer, especially in the locker room. Um, Dwayne Wade, it was a nice story, and I see what they were trying to do on a public relations standpoint, but he's not the type of need, player this team needs right now. Uh, Jimmy Butler is kind of caught in the middle. Is he the, is he the leader of this team? Uh, so, yeah, to me, the Bulls drama is way worse. Listen, we're still the world champions. 
we still have LeBron James and we're not losing him. Uh, it, it, we still have Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. You know, it, it seems like every year this drama just pops up out of nowhere. It's a much to do about nothing in my mind. Um, you know, you, this is a team that needs to get to the all-star break that played uh, into June of last year, came out of the gate firing on all cylinders, was absolutely fine, and now we're struggling a little bit. The biggest issue I have is that open roster spot. Uh, it's just a bad look. I mean, fill it with someone at least. Um, yeah, I, I don't see this team making a major move. Dan Gilbert spent more money than any owner in the history of the NBA in the last couple of years. Uh, it's not his fault J.R. Smith ended up hurt for the last uh, eight weeks or, or three months, whatever it's going to end up being. So you lost a lot of offense in your ancillary stuff there, one of your best on-the-ball defenders as well. Um, yeah, I mean, there, it's, it's a situation where we just got to kind of get through it. Are there some moves to be made? Sure there are. I mean, I think losing J.R. really hurt, and there's always been that need for – uh, a backup point guard since they let Delhi go, but they weren't going to, they made the right move, but not reselling Del Vadova. He's not worth that money. And you're seeing it now in Milwaukee. Uh, what we do miss. And we, I think we need to find the role player that replaces the energy that Del Vadova brought off the bench, the energy that Anderson brought off the bench when he was here. We don't have that guy that comes in, and, and can spark a team with the second unit right now. So I think that's what LeBron's talking about. And maybe you can find the point guard and that guy in the same person. Uh, and, and then the only other thing that I really see that this team needs at this point, and they brought in Chris Birdman to be that very small uh, piece, but a, a key piece where you could bring him off and you could bring some toughness into the lineup. And if someone was screwing with LeBron or Kyrie, you could send a message because you got six fouls with uh, Chris Anderson. We had it with Kendrick Perkins as well. And so I, I think that's the other guy that we need. But we're talking about two very mediocre moves uh, that need to be made. It's just got to be the right people. Uh, as far as Rondo goes coming here, I, I just don't – I mean, it would be the only situation that would work for him and I think could work well because of the strong leadership. And there's no doubt whose team this is. Um, but at the same time, why take that risk? There, there's other guys out there that you can go get that are going to be just as serviceable. And what are we really talking about here as a backup point guard? 18 minutes a game to try to be effective? Do you want to risk bringing a Rajon Rondo into that, this situation uh, rather than just go out and find someone who could be serviceable doing that? Garrett, you want to jump in or you want me to go? Sure. Um... It's, it's interesting. I think um, you have more of a tumultuous situation when you, you're talking about Chicago and you're just looking at that front office, which is, I don't know, historically since MJ left, I, I think they ended their dynasty too early. So I just, you, you, you shouldn't have let Thibodeau go. He was still the right coach for that team, and he actually – got them to to play above their actual level or their actual actual talent level I believe. And like uh like Jake was saying as far as you're talking about a Dwayne Wade, it's a it's a great story as far as a as far as a hometown kid coming back home. Uh how much left does Wade have in the tank? We we don't know. He's looked better, he's been a little bit more healthier uh as of late. But Rondo and Wade, 
that neither one is is uh, a decent perimeter shooter, consistent perimeter shooter. So you kind of put you put that team in a catch twenty two again. And when you look at uh, Jimmy Butler, he's really having to to tote that load by himself again. And to me personally, I think if you if you were really Chicago, they really should have did everything they could have when they had Thibodeau and they had their team with Noah and, and Rose and all of them back then. You should have tried to land Carmelo Anthony out of kind of way. And now you look at Carmelo where he's not saying it, but, you know, just the rift that they're having between Phil Jackson and, and Carmelo, he should have been in Chicago. But now you can make, even make an argument that uh, – I could possibly see maybe a move with, you know, you have Birdman out and they're looking for a backup point guard. But I could see maybe somewhere where you could try to make a deal for Carmelo, but not if he's only got one year left on his deal. I think something to that effect where he becomes a free agent again and then, you know, you can't keep him. But I would definitely not make that move to trade – to trade um, Kevin Love to uh, – it's not worth it to trade him to New York. But to, to make a long story short, I look at Chicago and I, I look at that situation, and, and it is it, it is toxic. And you kind of have two of the same kind of guards. Uh, the front court isn't the greatest. And you have a, a, a college coach who's been thrust upon into an NBA-level coaching deal, and he – it's not working. It's not working out there. And then when you take into consideration Cleveland's uh, Cleveland's little woes, I mean, it's, it's it's coming down to, you know, just injuries where you have – I look at JR's situation, I look at he didn't sign until late because they, you know, they were trying to work deals to get Tristan signed. They were trying to work, uh, you know, get those things – get all those things hammered out. And uh, LeBron, he took so long to get his deal signed. And Jr. was, you know, he was just kind of in limbo, and he didn't sign until late, and he kind of missed training camp. And I think those are the effects that you're having right now where uh, he wasn't, you know, I don't know, maybe basketball shape or basketball ready. And then during the season he gets injured, and, and that's the issues that they're having now is just the depth. But one thing that I, I, I do have an issue with uh, with the Cavs right now is even with these younger guys, you develop your younger players during the regular season. And a guy like Kay Felder, um, you know, I look at that guy, Liggins, he's getting more time than uh, McCray. And I feel McCray and, and, and Felder and some of those guys on your bench you need to play those guys. You need to give them some more more time. Let them get let them get their minutes. If you start developing these guys and letting them play during the regular season, then they become an asset that you can trust during playoff time. If you if you don't have if you're already over the luxury tax and you can't go out and make some of those moves, but as far as Rajon Rondo coming to to Cleveland, uh, I, I don't I don't believe so. I think like like uh, Jake said, he's more of a, a cancer and kind of kind of hurts your program. I mean, I, I'd look at Rio, uh, Mario Chalmers, or even a, a Norris Cole in a, a backup point guard position. Or, you know, that would that would really hurt to me quietly is Birdman, where you needed that, that enforcer down low to kind of help 
give Tristan a break. And to me, you you haven't replaced. Uh, and I I didn't like that letting him go. I I thought he was still a viable viable uh, option as far as uh, Timothy Moss guy. You know, I know he signed that big deal. He went to the, you know went to sign that big money in free agency to go to L.A. But you need a guy like that on your roster. So now I, I think with that with that position, I think you need to try to find a big or or like like LeBron was saying, maybe a, another small four for when he goes on the bench. You can have a guy who can legitimately 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 put the ball on the floor and kind of get to the basket and, and create things, you know, because I think really you only have about real two legit playmakers who can do something with the ball in their hand, and that's LeBron and that's Kyrie. And I think you need that third playmaker, somebody who can do something off the bounce, getting to the basket and creating for someone else on that second team. And that's what I think they, they really do lack. So it'll be interesting to see what David Griffin does before trade deadline. I don't know if they bring in two players if they can they can find a way to do that. But at the least, you know, to fill that free roster spot that Jake was talking about, you need to bring in at least one one other playmaker. Well, here's the thing, and I think that the Cavs and the Bulls situations mirror each other just based on the fact that you are you guys made the points. It's front office, and then it's also the star players. Um, but the reason I wanted to talk about the Bulls is just because the Jimmy Butler antics, I think this guy has exposed himself as might be in one of the worst divas in the NBA with that stunt he pulled the other night. If, for sure. You know, everybody's all over Grayson Allen for what he's doing and being an amateur athlete. To see an NBA player take himself out of a game after uh, being upset about a foul call, and undermine his coach like that is one of the worst things you can see in professional sports. And that, that, that's the one thing that, and that, and, and then you have, you know, young players questioning the veteran Dwayne Wade about practice. And yeah, we're talking about practice, the old Allen Iverson line, you know, that team is in a tailspin like you guys have for all the other reasons that you guys have said. So yeah, it's no question that it's worth. The Cavs problems are married to two things. One, the, the, for, it to come out and somebody say about spending is the issue. It's so funny that we jump on things and, you know, don't – I always, like, try to look between the lines and don't let my anger just get me upset because you hear spending and you think about what we know and what's happened uh, with, you know, everything it took to get the championship in, you know, the last couple of years with the Cavaliers, even before LeBron came back. That's not the issue. It's about spending wisely and getting the talent that you need. And I think that was the most important part of that article was that LeBron James actually named names of guys who took the veterans minimum. And, you know, yeah, he's throwing the young guys on the bus that you guys talked about and Liggins and McCray, but this team would be so much better with Ray Felton and Mike Beasley. I know that's easy to say and everything like that, Yada, yada, yada. The loss of Deladova and everything else, the balance of this, and who's really to blame with the Cavs situation? Everybody. Because Ty Lue's not managing the minutes right. He doesn't have a true rotation going right now. He doesn't trust a unit coming off of that bench. Remember, it's not about exactly. – I know you uh, you guys talk about – the uh, Jake, you're talking about the energy. You need a unit, though, that can set the table. Okay, they got to come back. They're down 20. Okay, the unit, the second unit's going to get it to – to 10. Sometimes one guy can spark that, but over 82-game season, and that bench unit is the one that really does that. And I know exactly. the injuries have hurt the rotation, um, but the, the 
the fact that David Griffin thought that he could get by, and I think this is where it really it, 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 it was a magnifying glass put on the marriage that the Cavs have with LeBron's legacy and the Cavs franchise being successful, not being one and the same right here. LeBron wants immediate gratification, and I think that's the frustration that came out. And he's not wrong for that. Plus, we don't know what was promised to him in the meeting when he decided to come back to Cleveland with David Griffin as much as everybody's talked about it. So, But once again, it's not spending. It's spending wisely. So when you have David Griffin trying to make a decision and trying to weigh the Cavs' future with saying, okay, we're going to go with the K. Felder, Liggins, and those guys, and we'll keep the money off and keep flexibility, that's why the open roster spot is there too, Jay. It's the flexibility of being able to bring other people in. I think that's where, you know, Everybody's to blame with the Cavs. So Ty Lue's not, you know, trusting the young players and giving minutes to, you know, a full unit, That's you know, the guys that need to. And, and I get upset, and I know, Jake, you get upset about this too. And LeBron's playing way too many minutes. LeBron was in the game the other night against the Nets when they were up by 30 with eight minutes to go. Yeah. Not 30, but they were up by 25 with eight yeah. minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Why is he in the game at that point? Even if they let lose me- that game, let him sit. You know, at some point, you know, like you can't rely on LeBron James to – and plus I know it's hard to – I know it has to be a pushback from LeBron himself too. So you get all these factors in. So, you know, yeah, it looks bad. Yes, we're all frustrated. But the best thing that happened out of all this is a guy that I never thought would be the cast saving grace, and he's not even playing right now. The third quarter of that Nets game, J.R. Smith took to the mic, and he said everything that needed to be said about this situation with the Cavs. He said the Cavs need to look in the mirror and do what they can do better, and as individual defense, stop relying. And, I mean, this is, this is, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but it basically is the exact word. He said play better individual defense and stop relying so much on help defense. So we know the Cavs need another big, they might need another point guard, but that's something that they can do to be better. The other thing that I think the Cavs could do, this is just my personal opinion, is set better screens just on offense. It just literally, I know they don't have that big guy to open it up, but that's something else they could do. The other part of J.R. Smith's comments was very telling, and I think he was speaking exactly about LeBron James. He said that, you know, you've got to talk to people and communicate effectively. You know, if I was in there, I would have told him to just, you know, talk to a guy. Because the way that LeBron handled the situation, his frustration, wasn't productive for the Cavs. But I think he's setting it up to make sure that the Cavs are aggressive here going to the end of the trade deadline. There's only one more point that I want to make on this. LeBron James, um, when we talk about that marriage of the franchise versus his legacy, he hurt the franchise's ability to help his legacy. And it's a small point, but it just, it's, a, it's a point uh, that bears making. Negotiating is all about where you have, you know, your opponent's um, uh, element of surprise. You know, nobody thought until LeBron came out and said it that the Cavs really, I mean, we all knew as diehard Cavs fans, but how many people around the league were thinking, damn, the Cavs really need to add so much more? You know, until LeBron came out and said that, now it becomes a glaring weakness, and now David Griffin has to go to the negotiating table, not from a position of being an NBA champion, but from a position of a champion desperate trying to go back-to-back. Yeah, and let me jump in here real quick. Uh, part, the other part of that, too, is where LeBron has cut his own throat a bit is in negotiating is the demands that he put out there for Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith, and we're seeing it now. You know, you don't have money because you pay these guys. And you can make the argument that Tristan's well worth it, and that's fine. And JR is well worth it, that's fine. But LeBron went out into the public and said, these guys are getting their money. And there was no negotiation. 
it was either their money or they're going to walk or they're not going to play. And, and that's the big thing. You know, LeBron's always been passive aggressive with this thing in the way he leads and the way he deals with uh, teammates and coaches and front offices. But to me, there's blame for everyone in this. You know, there's blame for Kevin Griffin uh, for for maybe overspending in certain spots. And, and he's, I feel like he's the least to blame because he's kind of caught in the middle of everything. And he's done a – I mean, the guy's done a tremendous job. I mean, bottom line, he's uh, turned this team into a world champion. So what can you say about that? Uh, but Braun's right. There's a window right now, and, and he's playing 43 to 45 minutes a game, which is asinine at this point of his career. Um, it, it's for, for Braun, he's right. You've got to get the right people in here, but you've got to let the people do their job as well. Um, I, I just don't. I think it was unnecessary for LeBron to go out there and do it. People know that, that what's going on and that what we need. Uh, and I, I think it's just frustration, like I said, in getting to the All Star break. It seems like every year LeBron creates some drama somehow this way. Uh, as far as Raymond Felton goes, I mean that's a pipe dream at this point now because Chris Paul's out. They're not gonna. They're not gonna get rid of one of their point guards. Uh, no, I was speaking. That, that goes guys. back to the beginning of the season. Right. When Brian made okay. those comments, he was talking about the off season. Those guys gotcha. signed for the veterans minimum during the training camp time. They were still out there. So. Okay. And, and then the Carmelo thing, you know, I mean, it, that would be a freaking nightmare. That would, you, you talk about guys that don't want to play defense. Could you imagine throwing him out there? I mean, the guy, what is he now? I mean, the team that he needs to go to, and I, I would imagine after last night, the, it'll be happening sometime this week, is he'll end up with the Clippers because uh, that team desperately needs something else to help them to have any chance at trying to win the Western Conference. Yeah, change of scenery uh, does a lot for a player. I'll say this on <clears throat> I'll say this on Melo. I don't think he's the answer for the Cavs, but I do think he could play well for the Cavs. I think the guy when he's motivated, we've seen if if you give me Olympics Carlo Anthony, I think you could cut down the cut down the nets with almost any roster in the NBA, but you don't get that, exactly. you know, in the regular season with Melo. So, you well, know what I mean, but know, if he was motivated to play with the LeBron James or we'll see what happens cuz I do agree with you. I think he's headed to the Clippers. That's what everything looks like with these rumors. Um, they're looking for a third party to complete the deal. Um, you know, that that he'll he'll flourish out there as well with that system just because it, it won't – a big thing with Melo, too, most of the times the situation has been all on him. So I think he'll flourish in a system where it's not all on him. Yeah, and I can I can agree with that for sure. Um, I think he could be effective there. I just don't think it would work well uh, in Cleveland, and especially if you've got to move Kevin Love. And we're just seeing now a, a group of players that have been together for three years – and them knowing where each other are going to be and all that other stuff that we were complaining about up to last year winning a championship uh, is now starting to come into place. And I, I just feel like everybody's freaking out over two weeks' worth of basketball. Well, I think J.R. Smith's comments, I can't speak to it again. It's so amazing to me that it came from J.R. Smith. You know, he sat down, and I'm referring to the third quarter, he sat down with uh, Austin Carr and Fred McLeod during the Cavs broadcast against the Nets, and he was saying these things. Um, it was just amazing, and I could not find it. I was trying to find it, um, but it was one of those things you had to watch the game live. I'm, I'm going to try to keep finding it. Maybe I can add it to the post, but it was amazing to hear him speak the truth about what's going on with the Cavs, and he said everything's going to be okay. Now, a quick update on him. He's a ways away. 
Um, he's just now being able to run and stuff like that, but he can't do anything. He's still in a cast with that. So I think we won't see that guy till April. I think we will see the Cavs yeah. roster change, though. Um, when it comes to David Griffin, I think he is to blame when it comes to trying to put the franchise's needs, which is his job, in front of LeBron's legacy just because – you know, to count on a K Felder, which it made no sense for the Cavs to give up that pick and then trade back into the draft and get that. And then you go back in history, and it's hindsight now, but the Cavs could have signed Matthew Dellavedova when they were waiting. And, I, Jake, you made the point. They were being held, held over a barrel trying to see what they had to give Chris Tristan. But Dellavedova just wanted three years at $12 million at that time. And that salary actually fit right now within the Cavs structure um, with the way that they spend money, you know, if you look at not having um, guaranteeing Liggins' contract, and I think that was the catalyst that set LeBron off. He thought that maybe they weren't going to guarantee Liggins' contract, which would have opened up more flexibility for the Cavs, too. So, But, you know, I mean, th- these are the things you quibble about when you have a championship basketball team, and these are the problems you have that in a situation where we've never been here before. So, um I, I, I am actually encouraged. I think the roster will change. I don't know what that's going to be. Um, I'll throw one more guy out there. Andre Miller is out there on the block. Maybe we bring him back and return him to Cleveland. Uh, but um, I don't know who else will come and join this Cavs team. Uh, but uh, I'm definitely excited about the Cavs, especially in a matchup they look to with the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think Jameer Nelson and DJ Augustine are also viable options. I mean, there's guys out there, and there's going to be veterans that are going to be cut uh, at the trade deadline as well. So maybe that's where you, you find these guys. But to think to even trade a guy like Simon Shumpert to, to fill a hole, I just don't, I don't think it's the right move to do. Well, we say congratulations to Kevin Love being an all-star. You talked about his play and not wanting to trade him. I think that's why he got uh, voted to the all-star reserves. But we have some big snubs. I mean, we think about the East with Paul Millsap over Joel Embiid, trust the process, who's one of the most popular players in the NBA and actually has put the numbers up in limited minutes. Put the numbers up in limited minutes. Um, And then also, too, Damian Lillard and McCollum out there on the West Coast uh, being pushed off for some of the centers out there. And how is what is it, Russell Westbrook? He's not starting. Is, is that yeah. what I'm understanding? That, that yeah, doing to the new exciting voting that the NBA has in, instituted. That's a joke. Yeah. How about LeBron was left off of 145 players' ballots? That's just straight hate and the savage life. Hate it. Hate it. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? All right. Well, that's going to be our cast podcast for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Jake, get the plugs in. Yeah, make sure you're listening to scoreonair.com every Tuesday. Or actually, sorry, let me start that over. Listen to scoreonair.com every Monday and Thursday, Monday 3 to 5, Thursday 4 to 6, with an Ohio Bias Live with me and Aaron Campbell on Thursday. And Aaron holds it down on the Monday show. She does a great job. Scoreonair.com, a lot of alternate pro- alternative programming uh, for the sports fans. There's a new show that starts every two hours, and it ranges from – uh, pro wrestling to uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, national sports talk, local sports talk, a high school show. Uh, all that information is on scoreonair.com. Just check out the show pages, and you can pick out the ones you like and watch and listen and do everything you need to do right there at scoreonair.com. And then uh, keep an eye out for evsportsnetwork.com, evsportsnetwork. Uh, this year is a big year for us. Uh, Matt Finkus is on board. 
Scott, Scott Torgerson uh, is on board, Zach Boren, Nick Miller, uh, Mindy Dreher from down here. So a lot of exciting things going on with the EB Sports Network and the EB News Network as well that is debuting here in 2017. I do a show with Zach Bourne and Nick Miller called Between the Nuts, and that should return here, here hopefully in the next couple of months over the summer. All right, we thank Jared Staples for joining us. Uh, if you're a huge football fan, oh, Garrett, you know, one thing we got to mention real quick, and I, I mean, Jake, I don't know if you saw this, but that, excuse me, uh, we talk about Cincinnati and everything, I-71 South, uh, that crosstown shootout definitely delivered the Bearcats were able to overcome one of the most amazing performances I've seen in a long time in a college basketball game, and Trevin Blewett almost going perfect with 40 points when the Xavier Musketeers fell to the Cincinnati Bearcats. Yes, that was a uh, electrifying, great game, and uh, awesome just single performance by uh, Trayvon Blewett. He, I thought, I was ready to cut that game off because you looked at the uh, the first half and he shot the lights out the ball. You, you thought that game it was it was going to be very one sided, but uh, Cincinnati found a way to kind of dig in, and they dominated on the on the glass, and that's that's what propelled them the second chance uh, opportunities, uh, hitting those rebounds and hitting the hitting the boards hard. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Garrett, thanks for joining us on the podcast. You'll be hearing more, Garrett, on the I-71 South podcast, talking uh, all things Bengals. All things Bengals, and uh, I see you guys up there in uh, 71 North talking those uh, talking the tribe. Uh, right now it's, it's still rough for us here down here in uh, big red machine country. You know, we, we've got some work to do, but uh, hopefully we'll have something – some more positives here in the next couple of years coming up. This no, is probably the uh, that this is probably the year that Homer Bailey fulfills all of his promises. I'm guessing. <laughs> we hope. We <laughs> hope like that. We hope. That's all we can, we can say. It was good to see Billy Hamilton and some of the guys at that crosstown shootout. Um, we thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, you know we'll be talking calves, and uh, it's not always going to be drama, folks, but it does keep it exciting, and it gives us a about it. So we thank you for listening. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D&J. As always, go Cavs, defend the land. All right, gentlemen, I got to go. My phone's All right. Everything's falling apart, so I got to run. <laughs> All, right. All right, boy. Talk to you guys soon. All, All right. right. Bye-bye.
What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try.